Hi, folks, and thank you for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is a conversation we had with economist from Neary, Kieran Nugent, a couple of weeks ago now on the pensions time bomb and whether we ask whether we actually have one or is it just a failure to collect taxes that are available or other revenue streams that are available to the government the answer obviously with these things is not as simple as we are led to believe uh, if you're listening to these podcasts if you get something out and please try and give something back it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise and the link is right there in the podcast you're listening to right now we know it's tough out there we know people are struggling we understand that. We also think that people listen to us to get an explanation as to why people are struggling, what's actually happening, what is going on beyond those headlines. And I think that has a value. And if you are one of the lucky few who has the few quid to keep us on the road, we would love you to try and pay it forward. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise It's a couple of quid for you. It's mics on for us and it keeps those podcasts out there so everybody can hear them. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. And I won't delay any more. Go and enjoy what is a great conversation with, with someone who's rapidly becoming a Tortoise Shack regular. Enjoy the pod. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. Uh, I'm an emotionally traumatized Tony Groves and uh, I'm joined by my co-host Martin McMahon. Martin, how are you? Uh, physically traumatized. So there we go. <laughs> we're, we're having a, we, Just before we came on air, we were having a competition to see who's the worst off. And we both agreed it was me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, listen, we've got we've a few things we want to cover today, but I do want to say if you patrons, if you're listening to this. OK, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. It's been a tough few months. We get that. We would we would love people to to spread the word, let people know. But uh, you know, just just you you do you look after you, and it, it is not easy out there at the moment. But do uh, do do if you can recommend us someone if you think that there's something worthwhile, uh, something worthwhile picking up on. Also check out the Shrapnel podcast that went out um, uh, a few hours ago when we were recording this. And I give you a trigger warning. There's descriptions of horrible violent crimes that took place uh, murders that took place but i think it's really important that we have these conversations and i'm really i'm really taken aback by the, the level of people who are already listening to shrapnel it's fantastic but but it's also shows that this that we've we were right to uh to take a take a go on uh on gareth and sam when they said he wanted to do it martin it was it wasn't it Tony, wasn't it's about listening to voices and these are the voices that aren't getting listened to it's particularly in the south so you yeah know, but if you i'm said- all for it if it said there was going to be two, uh, uh, we'd have a, effectively a, a working class unionist and a historian of loyalism doing a podcast on the tortoise shack a year ago would have said you're mad. But here we are now. And, yeah, it, you yeah, know, people and it's are great. It's yeah. great. It's great to have the perspective. Listen, anyway, back to the the the, the news of the day. Um, we are delighted to be rejoined on the podcast for about the 15th time by uh, economist with Neary, Kieran Nugent. Kieran, fresh from his debut on RT News. Kieran, how are you keeping? Not too bad, Tony. Thanks. How are you getting on? Good, good. And you know what? I, I'm all, I know I cracked a joke about that, but I'm delighted to see you, you're getting a bit of profile like that. And again, we've had this conversation on and off air. Nice to see people with working class voices being put forward to talk in, in those in those areas as well. Not all not all economists have to uh, speak with a with a homogenous voice, Kieran. Anyway, I'm not going to get you in any more trouble. Um, can I uh, can I ask just in broad terms? The news today that the, the the government are ready to move on the giving people flexibility in their working lives, that they can work longer. Um, how did you read that and what was your perception as someone who's looked at the numbers and pointed out the level of people already is, is high in this country that work beyond retirement age? 
Yeah, so we actually have one of the highest rates of people. First of all, we have one of the highest what's called normal retirement ages in the in the OECD. Um, we also have one of the highest shares of 65 to 69 year olds working in the EU, second or third highest. Um, and the same for people 70 to 75. Um, so it's it's about 13, 14% for, for that group. Um, so, you know, there's no, the, the, fra- the, the framing of the entire conversation is kind of suggest it's it's a cost coming down the line rather than a potential saving. That's the way I think the framing should be done. That and the, the framing of it as a already a cost kind of suggests that there's some kind of consensus out there that we have to put up the the age. And of course the the, the welfare the tax and welfare commission just released their their um big massive five hundred and fifty page report after two years there my my Boss, uh, co-director Tom McDonald was 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 on this commission, and they didn't come to a, a consensus about increasing the retirement age. Um, so you know we talk about time bombs and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know one of one of the places, and I know Martin talks about this all the time, is the you know. Nearly produced research and, and so, you know, some of that got, um, I wouldn't say picked up, but elements of that were, were, were incorporated into this, you know, consensus built big report from, from all across the civil society, um, you know, civil service, business, workers, organizations, et cetera. They, and, and what that found was one of the areas where we don't collect tax on a level um, you know, with 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 comparable high income EU countries is in employers PSI, and uh, if we were to bring ourselves up to average, there's a whole of northward. I'm right in saying we're third, um, from bottom in in employers contributions to to revenue. We're third from bottom according to the Eurostat in the EU. Yeah, it, it it might depend on exactly how you you calculate it as a percentage here or there. It's basically about eighty. At last at last count, it was about an eighteen hundred euro gap per person, not per worker, per person on, on in the Republic of Ireland. Um, and you know the the entirety of our low tax economy say if we were to bring up all, all sorts of things in, into the average of these high income EU country group it's about 10 or 11 countries it was about 8 billion right and see, over 6 billion of that was all PSI mm. right uh, employers PSI and that doesn't even count some of the stuff that Martin talks about in terms of both self-employment and stuff like that so likely the, the, the gap is 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 much bigger and, and for some kind of scale for people to understand what that is Education budget, the entirety of the education budget is around, I think it's eight or nine billion, somewhere somewhere in that range. So it's a massive pot of potential money that is not um that is not collected by the Irish government and which could be and like other countries have reduced their, you know, normal retirement age or their compulsory retirement age or their pension age, whichever one it is. Germany's reduced it over the last ten years. So like if we're the most, you know, we, we get all this stuff about being open the development index and GDP per capita and how great everything is. I mean, and, and you know, productivity is a big part of that. We've got great productivity numbers because they're driven by GDP, etc. And you're like, what's the point of all this development? 
if we're not going to use this kind of technology or or, or the, these these collective phones to 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 fund a better lifestyle. Two years, two years from sixty five to sixty seven are not comparable. Like the, the argument is that we're we're living longer. And by the way, it might be that we're not soon enough. But like like living standard or or um. You know the 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 average um, expected life expectancy in the US dipped recently. Life expectancy in the UK dipped recently. We just don't have a study saying ours did. There's a, a gap going between, um, you know, college educated and, and working class there as well. That's that's been been going. So the two years between sixty five and sixty seven are not the same in terms exactly. of quality of life as between eighty two and eighty three or eighty four is what they're suggesting. I have especially for a construction worker or something. I, like that. No, Let's we'll get to that in a minute, but I want to go back to the report you're talking about the UK and the US. So it's important because some of the stuff that was really said and that was very clear. Even now we have um highly educated, low-paid workers more than we ever had as well. Now that's become this real issue as well. So you know, it was a case whereby the the when they talked about the demographics was you know college educated white folk getting x x salaries. Now that there's in a diminution in their earning capacities as well, and all of that. If we think we're immune to that, we only have to look around at the fact that 2019, the um, with our booming economy, our at-risk of poverty le- level slightly increased, and we're we're back there again. Just you know, back into 2021, and we're looking at these figures are getting worse. Martin, sorry, I know you wanted to come in. Yeah, I, I just want to make a broader point on it, Kieran. What's missing from the picture? What is missing from the picture? And what's missing from the picture is that they're not collecting employers PRSI as they should be collecting employers PRSI, even without improving the system. There is upwards of a billion a year in in PRSI and commensurate taxes, which we haven't touched on yet, that are going amiss because the state isn't collecting them. And as they're talking about the pension, I mean, it's there in the, it's the elephant in the room. Look what's happening in RTE. You must look at what's happening in RTE. They've had to repay so far 1.22 million in employers and employees PRSI that should have been paid by RTE to the state. Now, that's one company, just one, but it's rife everywhere. And we know this because if you look at the statistics, Germany's rate of self-employment, and we're talking uh, self-employment with no employees, is half of ours. If you look in the EU, the countries with the highest level of self-employed with no workers, it's Greece. Now, is somebody trying to tell, and they're trying to spin this yarn to us, that having all of these self-employed workers is entrepreneurialism at its best. No, no, it's a sign of something wrong in your economy. Luxembourg, very low. Germany, very low. Where they do well, the the rate of self-employed workers is very low. And in the UK, Tony and I did uh, looked at this recently. There was an article from uh, um, a, a paper over there where they were talking about the reduction in the number of workers who are now classified as self-employed with no workers in the UK since the pandemic, because they got some sort of pandemic payment, came off being self-employed which they were it's only nominally self-employed they're not really and that those numbers haven't risen which shows that these people weren't self-employed they were sub-employed and ireland has a huge problem with it 
So there is no reason to, to raise the PRSI payments incrementally for workers. There is a reason to go after employers' PRSI because it's an awful lot of money, an awful lot of money. What do you think we should do in this? I mean, I'm doing everything I can, um, but this needs a focus from, from you know, opposition level, a, an absolute focus from everybody. Yeah, it's probably a hard one politically. And, I, you know, I, before I was ever an economist, I used to work in, in TV. And um, I'm well aware of kind of the use of, um, you know, on account worker status when, you know, you can't really call in sick. There's, there's certain, um, you know, rules that are supposed to separate a genuine employee from a self-employed. And I think a lot of the time those things don't, apply in those areas um it's yeah i i did the tax and welfare commission as well did say that that um self-employed workers peers so it should be brought into line that's one of one of the areas that there was consensus on um and uh, absolutely that's i mean we should be you know we're in a precarious um state at the moment we're in the same you know just with a, a different area of taxation where we're, we're uh, um it was stamp duty in 2008 now it's corporation tax yep. so we need to do what's called broadening the tax base can, or, can i just pick yeah. up a point you said there that the tax commission said about bringing the self-employed prsi contributions into line that came up in the Oireachtas Social Welfare Committee in 2019. Patricia King brought it up. And that for the benefits that self-employed people have now been granted, limited sick pay, whatever else is there, that to contribute enough, they'd have to raise their PRSI to 12%. So effectively what you're doing is making the self-employed person pay both the employer's PRSI and their own PRSI, and you're saying that the employer is immune from investigation for uh, bogusly self-employed that worker. So that means that the PAYE worker, the genuine PAYE worker, is losing out on goods or services and entitlements because the bogus self-employed rogue employer is getting away with it. And that's why PRSI has to rise to meet that deficit. Yeah, that's um, fair enough as well. Obviously, um, that's a bit like you see in the, in, it's it's hard to capture that stuff in data as well, Like which is my, you know, my areas is looking at a Excel sheets and tables and all that kind of stuff. And because a lot of it's obviously shadow economy and all that, they don't really answer on the, on the phone to somebody from the central statistics office about their employment, you know, about their employment conditions, et cetera. Um, but even still, that rate of own account workers with no employees in construction has been on an upward trajectory for 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 years. Um, Six hundred and sixty so, million was the the figure that uh, Patricia King used to estimate, or she estimated those as the losses from construction alone. Um, that, just six hundred and sixty million, yeah, just, and crazy. that's taxes and PRSI. That's one industry, just yeah. one industry, and we see now that in the media industry that there are also signs that it is rife throughout the industry. Without a doubt, it's rife throughout the industry. I can tell. I can tell you that from from personal experience. Um, and it's the 
you know, it's a go-to arrangement for any kind of a TV program or anything like that. That's what it is. I mean, I, I was in, um, in I never saw I, I never registered his own account at the time because of the the um, the risk involved to it. Basically, and it's so seasonal. I was I was working on the west coast or whatever. Um, but like there were times now where I, you know, I would get producers would almost be demanding, you know, that I re-register as a as an account so they can save their 10, 11, whatever it was, 10, 11, 12 percent um, on on that period. So, so, I mean, there's there's if enforcement's a huge issue as well, isn't it? I mean, can, like, just can, look. can we can we get it? We need to. Yeah. I'm sorry, now I want to I want to stay away. Okay, we can talk about our team, bogus employment, yeah. construction. I think that's not really the story today, Martin yeah. or, or Karen. The story today is they want to move the pension age. They've introduced this ridiculous situation of saying it's flexible. You know this idea that you know. I mean, let's. You saw one of the nurses' representations uh, organization saying. That a a nurse at sixty six is probably in worse state than the patient she's trying to she's trying to she's trying Abs- to take care of. Oh, absolutely, I'm right. just I'm just after looking ahead, at Jim. a study there before I came on about again. You, you said nurses. I, I'm going to the construction worker there because I feel like this even applies to them ten years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there's this study from Korea over 60s survey construction workers you know over half them with musculoskeletal problems 42 percent with depression 40 percent with um with fatigue things like that you can't you can't expect i mean my, my mother worked to 65 as a teacher and she was you know she there was no chance she tried to get out of it a couple of years earlier she could have and she couldn't um so the the um the arguments there I don't think are um and especially this thing the young are gonna pay for the old now. This is the biggest I think this is the biggest um I don't know what to call it. Fallacy. Uh, yeah. So I mean it, it applies to us and I'm but also I am counting myself as young now, I'm not too sure if I count as young anymore. But it clearly applies to me. And like in the next 15 years, is, is that 66 gonna become 67 or 68 if we if we drop the ball on this one and 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 don't resist it this this uh proposed increase. So the the whole framing of it from you know as if there's a consensus, as if it's already a you know a cost rather than a potential saving. Like that's how they did the figures. The cost between sixty six and sixty seven, with the you know with with, with the you know with, with a lot of assumptions baked in there, the wrong way I I, I would say, um. So the whole framing of it, I think, is a is we, is, is wrong. We spoke to Constantine there not long ago, Tony, and we talked about young people, and we talked about how seventy percent of young people have an intent to leave. You know, if the country keeps going the way it goes. But instead of raising, as you mentioned, in other countries, instead of raising the pension age, we should be looking for a way to get people out of work earlier and let the young people in. And I mean, we need they are them, as Constantine said, they are going to be the motor of our economy going forward, not old money, new intelligence. And that's what we need. So it's counterproductive to raise your 
pension age. You're just keeping people in positions long after can, can, they should be there. I want to I want to make another point on this particular scheme uh, because it's important, I think. And I think it's really strange. So the current pension, state pension is paid at the rate of €253 Euro per week for people to retire at 66. Under proposed flexible model, and this flexible thing is going to get bandied about a lot. I notice RT have jumped on it, funnily enough. And based on current payment rates, the five rates are estimated to be at age 67, you get 266, 68, you get 281, 69, 297, and age 70, you get 315. I wonder even from a uh, workplace discrimination, heads of discrimination thing, is there an issue here whereby we're saying to someone, your your actual ability to keep working into your 70s is going to actually depend on how much of your pension you're going to get. And it's not fair to say Martin talking into a microphone is doing the same job as Kieran shoveling um, cement. You know, it's just yeah. I, I alluded to that earlier on. That gap is grow well at least in the US and the UK grew between manual workers and in in life expectancy manual workers and um, and, and graduates and university educated workers. So sitting in front, you know, you I mean, you get you get issues from sitting in front of a desk all day as well but they're not the same and they're more manageable and you 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 can physically have more longevity so it's another inequality there in in how we i don't see any exemptions for manual workers or or anything like that proposed or even discuss. i didn't even hear anyone discuss it or anything like that mentioned so um that's that. I mean, that inequality would clearly grow if, if that's the case. People, you know, people are manual workers are sometimes forced to 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 retire in their fifties. So it's social welfare then till till sixty five, and then you're gonna wait. You know, you're not you're gonna be on the lowest rate then afterwards. Even though you might have started work six or seven years before, I might have been paying your own income taxes and contributions into our society six or seven years before. Any um, anyone graduated from university and got a, a job at a desk? And there's and a wealth that gap. stuff's not counted there either. There's you know? a huge wealth gap. I mean, there's a ten-year difference in life expectancies between the poorest parts of Limerick and the wealthiest parts of South County Dublin. So there is a huge uh, influence of wealth on health, and we do know this. This is this isn't news to anybody. So it is also very targeted. At poorer people, very much targeted at poorer people. Yeah, what else is new? Um, that, yeah, that's, I mean, like, who's writing these laws? <laughs> you know, what kind of bubble are they in? How many construction workers that they, do they know who have uh, mus- musculoskeletal issues in, in their 50s and who are worrying about, you know, putting their own kids through college or, or, or whatever, you know? The, the the last thing that strikes me is that this is all of a piece. We saw only last week the Tonishton making an absolute show of himself, saying he was going to ignore the Commission for Taxation because they were the the recommendations were very shinery. Um, you know, and I, I mean like, the the work that went into that, the the difficulty in getting anything, never mind a five hundred and fifty page document where all sorts of you know, as I said. All across civil society, the Irish Tax Institute with the Nevin Economic Research Institute, civil servants, etc. Getting any kind of consensus there was a lot of work, which they, the Irish government funded them themselves. There was leaks and then it seemed, you know, dead before it was even released or at least, you know, large, large parts of it. Um, I don't understand. I, I don't understand that. If we're, if we're looking for 
Consensus is the hardest part, but you know, um, data driven, evidence driven policy. And if you can get consensus, that's a, it's almost a miracle. Like, and they got the consensus, they worked really, really hard on it. It's a, it's a very interesting document, you know, not all the things we does, you know, um, the, the, Tom, Tom was the, Tom McDonald was, was on it from, from, from the Nevin Economic Research Institute. Not every single thing was, um, perfectly in line with, with, with his opinion. Um, but all, all, all the same, they, they, they got this document together. There's a lot of good stuff in it. And then, to dismiss that before it's even made publicly available, I, you know, I don't, I don't understand that from any point of view, from from electoral perspective, you know, from, from electoral perspective or policy perspective, or it's very, you know, it's very anti intellectual, isn't it? Am yeah, I wrong? I, I, I think it's very anti intellectual. It's like I it's mean, like, it's it's the same people who kind of use terms like. You know the loony left and 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 you know common sense economics and all this kind of sense. Well, there's your common. That's literally common sense. They you know the common work of the of the Irish economics profession, or you know a good chunk of them. I mean, Is Roy were involved in it as well. You know, it's labelled as populist now. Is, is that word it is. has no meaning anymore, Martin? It, it's it never. I'm, I'm not sure it ever had much of a meaning, but that word has no meaning, or at least. Everyone gets to throw it at everyone, and then it it doesn't mean anything. Then, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, they they it's just a catch-all for people you don't like. That's all yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, them populists. But it's it's not a surprise to me that it was rubbished. I think it goes against a lot of of current ideology within government, and I think that's the main problem. Well, they're still hanging on to fiscal responsibility and and uh, you know expansionary fiscal contraction of the austerity years because that's their record. They, you know, they're about the only people in, as far as I can see, in Europe. And you know, Pascal's still the chair of the Euro Group, which I don't know what that says. When you know, when when a lot of other you know, the IMF, the European Central Bank, European Commission, they've all come out and said, okay, last time was kind of, a, it was a mistake. This time we need more expansionary spending policy, etc. Um, And they're still on low tax, low spends, you know, hyper-capitalist, um, you know, small, small state kind of mind frame because that's what, you know, that's what the, the, their, their record is, I think. And, um, not yet. They're they're about the only people who have moved on from that, as far as far as I can see. It would worry me, Kieran, because things are going to get bad for people out there. Things are going to get rough. Things we're going to see bills that we haven't wanted to see for a long time. We're going to we're going to put up with a lot of drama. A lot of people, you know, like we only have to look at some of the stories to realize, you know, what good was finding that woman that we saw, um, you know, the guards in the newspaper today, the the woman in the Irish Independent getting fined for and been told, you know, for for bad, <laughs> not been inappropriate parenting, effectively, you know, yeah. and working shifts like she's trying to keep a, the wolf from the door. We don't know the specifics. Then you see the guards putting up a picture of. Well, look clearly to me like someone who'd stolen the essentials and back to back to school supplies, yeah. and, and they'd cut this. And you, you start. It was, like to, a, 
Sorry, Tony. It was like a scene out of a wire or something like that. That's what I felt it was. Do you know what I mean? Like, you couldn't get the nail on the head better. Mm-hmm. I was tweeting out there again today. We have some of the, and especially on, when you break it down for women, we have some of the highest shift work. We have some of the highest weekend work uh, rates for, for with the low, you know, low wage economy. That's specifically, you know, it's higher. It's driven by women, driven by young women, driven by women of, of a young age who can't afford childcare or etc etc uh was she on a night shift i didn't i couldn't read past the yeah and even even at that though one of the things one of the comments was made but in in the court that um evidence of uh dishes being left unwashed in the in the sink you you know this this is the sort of shit we have to listen to you know you know it's the same sort of stuff martin you talk about social welfare inspectors going in and checking you know what how many toothbrushes a a woman has in, in our home and yet they won't do anything about you know let's let's call a spade a spade here. We're still talking about tribunals. The site serve try the site serve inquiry comes out at a cost of millions, and we're all supposed to sit around and say, "Well, that's job done." You know, I, it, it's also important to focus on that pensions, pensions that that pensions is P or S I. That is what you're talking about. It's pay related social insurance. It's part of the social contract. It is the social contract you work here you will have a safety net employer comes here employer has to pay part of that safety net at the present moment in time what we have is the paye worker paying the whole safety net or virtually the whole safety net and the net is on the floor and it's because it's the paye worker who's the only one supporting it in the social contract and what they're doing now in in raising the age is ideological it's not fiscal it's not financial it's ideological well, I, I completely agree yeah um and there's uh um yeah there, there's I mean, when we yeah, when when we gonna decide that we want we as collectively don't want to work till we're seventy years of age? Like, is that a is that a controversial thing to say? I don't know. I think that's the way um, we should be imagining the 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 future. And as you said, uh, Martin, letting letting people retire earlier might you know create more room for for. Uh, younger people coming in um, to 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 get you. I'll, I'll have a report out on on um, overqualification rates in the next um, couple of weeks, which shows that there's a lot. You know, there's a lot of underemployed or overqualified or not employed, highly educated young people in the country that could be um, could be working early now, paying in now, so that they could retire a couple of years. Do you know there's a balance there as well? If yeah, you're spending yeah. two or three years. Uh, with a with a degree or a master's stacking shelves before you find uh, a a job in line with your own qualifications and a and a, and a better paying job, um, th- there's gains to be made there on 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 the other side. You know, you'd be working two or three years. Uh, thanks. Looking forward to reading that when it comes out. And thanks very much for coming on here and having this conversation with us. It's important. Pensions are important, and how they're handled are important. And it's not just the, the, the construction workers. It's not just the people in, in lower paid jobs. I mean, we now know of self-employed scientists working for semi-states. So it, it, this is right across the board. And people have a right to a pension and a right to start a pension early as well. And that means good working conditions from early on. 
Listen, folks, we'll leave it there. Um, just a reminder, the Coast, Cost of Living Coalition, the march is on Saturday at 2.30 p.m., gathering at Parnell Square. So you'll know the usual spot if you're one of the usual heads. But if you're not, get along um, and, and show your support. The one thing they will, like they can talk about this budget all they want. They can talk about these these moves on pension things. All, that's all narrative. That's all framing. We've seen it today. I saw a, a mainstream media say that... Um, Taoiseach accuses Sinn Féin leader of scaremongering around pension age. That's an interesting way to frame that. And I think the only way you push back against that narrative is if you actually show them that people actually can see through it and, and feed on the street Absolutely. shows them that more than, and, uh, more than anything. Tony and I will be there. I shall be supporting Tony emotionally and Tony shall be supporting me physically. And we'll to see <laughs> I, have, all I, I have like a little baby born thing. I'll carry him on at the front. <laughs> Talk to you soon, folks. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.